So Matt Townsend is in an undisclosed location today. Not exactly sure where he's at. Last time anyone saw him, he was walking down the hall with a grass skirt, a bottle of SPF 150, and asking if vacation was spelled with one or two exclamation points. Coming up on the show, we're talking about online safety. How can you ask your kids the important questions if you don't even know the names of the apps or sites they are using? I'm Kristen Hawkins, filling in for Matt Townsend, next on The Matt Townsend Show. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Black smoke in Vatican City. After the first vote of the conclave, there is unsurprisingly no consensus among the cardinals about who will be the next pope. From now on, there will be two votes every morning and afternoon until a new leader is chosen. NASA scientists say the Curiosity Mars rover has found evidence that Mars could once have supported at least microbial life. Samples from deep crags suggest that rivers ran on the red planet billions of years ago. In Washington, Paul Ryan has unveiled the GOP budget proposal for 2013, and once again, the Republicans are pushing for deficit reduction. The plan could produce a surplus within a decade. Democrats have released a competing budget offering. The Senate Judiciary Committee has given their okay for expanded background checks on all persons wishing to purchase a firearm. All Republicans who voted on the measure voted against it. In Colorado, lawmakers have approved civil unions for same-sex couples. The state's governor has already voiced his support for the bill and is expected to sign it into law. A judge entered accused Aurora, Colorado theater shooting suspect James Holmes's plea of not guilty today. Defense attorneys are expected to lead with an insanity defense for the man who is believed to have killed 12 and wounded over 50. In world news, British Prime Minister David Cameron says Argentina should respect a referendum vote in the Falkland Islands, which overwhelmingly called for continued allegiance to the United Kingdom. Argentina has once again been trying to claim the islands. Iranian officials are considering suing the American film industry for the recent Best Picture Oscar-winning film Argo. Tehran officials called it CIA propaganda. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. And hello, everyone. Thank you for letting me come into your household today. Filling in for the Matt Townsend Show, I'm Kristen Hawkins, mother of four, happily married, kind of crazy, but I'm really glad to be here. And I'm in studio with Jessica and Bryce, Madison and Rob. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. Fabulous. Class is going well. No, but you know, it's whatever. (laughs) It's that point in the semester, okay? (laughs) Yep, it's midterms. Wish we were with Matt, you know, wherever he is. That would be very nice. I think that grass skirt (laughs) might look good on him, but um, we'll have to see if he'll wear that when he gets back in studio. (laughs) Now, um, I'm on spring break this week where I'm teaching, but you guys are still in the middle of classes. When do you have spring break coming Uh, up? We don't. don't. No spring break this semester. You don't need that, right? Oh. <laughs> See, one of these days they can dream of being a college graduate like me where I can honestly say... I have no class. <laughs> <laughs> well, or then you'll start teaching and then you have to suffer along with your students until you get spring break coming along. But I'm glad I have the week off. And today was sunny. We lost half of our snow in our house uh, over the weekend when the sun, when the temperature raised up. Yeah. I don't know if your apartments are like that. Or- oh, 
completely. I took the long way to work today because I was like, oh. oh, it's so warm. It's so beautiful. It's like 60 degrees. <laughs> Which, Which in Utah, you have to understand, this is very unusual for us warm. at this yep. point. We're, we're all in shock. I still grabbed my big heavy coat when I left the house today because I thought... You never know. I know. There's trust issues with the nature. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. It's going to like blizzard any second. Exactly. It could be nice right now, but those clouds, that one little teeny puff could uh, (laughs) develop into a huge storm. So wonderful. Well, I hear you have some human headlines for us today. Uh, Anybody want to start? Jessica, what have you what have you got for us as far as a human headline? Well, um, Google Glasses. I don't know if everyone's heard about these. I don't even know exactly like what the they new. can do. So, Bryce, tell us some stuff it can oh. do. Okay. Short story on the Google Glasses. They're these glasses that have a little interface on them, and it can do all kinds of things like take videos. You can video chat with people. They can't really see you, but you can see them. Uh, you can – it'll read you your emails and text messages and stuff. And so, really, anything that you do with, let's say, a smartphone or a laptop that occupies your hands – They've moved that to the glasses so that you just tell it what to do. This is like Iron Man's mask. <laughs> I know, like Skyler, like that's flying. a good analogy there. Go was it, cape, was it called right? Jarvis? Was that the name yep, of it? Yep, it was Jarvis. That was his manservant. But if, you look, but if you look on the screen, like you see like all yeah. the dials yep. and stuff. Yeah, It's true. Google finally crossed a line because first they wanted to be my web browser or, or my search engine. Then right. they wanted to be my little browser window. And then they wanted to be my phone. And now they want to be my glasses. I don't. That goes. I think that's too far. Well, I, I accept. You know, I'm fine. If I don't have to use my hands doing things, like if I can get direction, or better yet, shopping list. <laughs> if I have a shopping list that's right there on my eye, and I don't have to, you know, look down and deal with it. If I can just walk through, True. and it'll. True. Maybe it'll even like pick out the things well, for that's, me. That's why you uh, get a spouse. <laughs> You're going oh, the wrong way. No, no, no that's oh. the wrong aisle. No. Rob, works, I am the spouse. Great. I'm the one that's doing that, and I'm with Bryce. I would like something where I could like <laughs> set my eye on it, and it'll delete it once yeah. I've once I've put it in the cart. Because there's always that one obscure item in your shopping list that you forget. You know, it's circled. Every Madison's time. nodding her head. Yep. Do you do that too? Where all the time? Yeah, and you get out of the store and you've purchased everything. You're right to your cart, and all of a sudden, like. Oh, I forgot this ingredient. I'm supposed to make this. And of course, night. it's like the one very important thing. Like yeah. if you're making like a pesto, you know, noodle thing, it's the pesto. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like something really needed in the recipe. I very feel like this could so. cause problems though with the glasses. Like I feel like students could like download like their notes on their glasses and then just Ooh. wear their glasses into their test That's and just really have true. all their net- notes right That's there. Did Back you say? onto my story anyways. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Didn't you say you could get these in prescription glasses as well? So There it is. Yeah, that's... They, I want glasses They now. finally came out and said, <laughs> we can do this in prescription because before it wasn't... They weren't certain on if it could, yes. but now they can. But I mean, how many of those hipsters just wear like those glasses, just have cool frames, but it's, you know, just glass, not prescription. I think they were kind of banking on that. But then the older generation's like, hey, it has to be somewhat useful. We were talking about this um, pre-show about all the people that wear glasses and that. I have had LASIK, which I love, love, love. It's wonderful. But I admit, Madison, I have a pair of just glasses with <laughs> plastic. I think they have like a, a nickel's worth of correction on them just so I could get the insurance to help me to pay for them. But they're just regular glasses. So. <laughs> the hipster, they look really good. They're trying to sell these Google glasses to the hipster crowd or into having all the newest technology and stuff. This is going to backfire on them really badly because I think what's going to happen is you'll get kind of the non-hipster types. The I mean, the Bluetooth earpieces. 
they thought, oh, the young people are going to use them. No, it's always like a 45-year-old guy walking sure, around with a Bluetooth yeah. earpiece. And so hipsters, you don't see them wearing Bluetooth. But, it's the same with the glasses. It's going to be complete backwards where I think paper roadmaps are going to come back in style and the hipster thing will be to unfold your roadmap, <laughs> you know? But, you, you know, the prediction now, Rob is <laughs> Rob is sending something down in stone. You mark his words. This is going to happen. I don't know. These Google glasses, though, they seem a little scary. What can you use them for besides what you mentioned? I, I Can you take pictures with them? Or are we you gonna can. Do- you can take pictures. You can send pictures, which also okay. means it needs to be connected to, like... Wi-Fi. You need like a data plan or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's number one, they're expensive. Right. Then you have to do other stuff. So it's complicated. It's not like it's not like you spend fifteen bucks and you have these cool glasses that do all kinds of fun stuff. No, it's like fifteen hundred bucks for the glasses. And then it's if the you, newest status thing. It, yeah, it used to be definitely. braces. Now it's the Google glasses. Yes. You know? Not only do you have to have braces, but you have to have Google glasses in order to be cool. That's so. you know, if it's important to you, you'll pay for it, right? <laughs> yes, the '90s hipster, the '90s nerd, is becoming like the new cool thing. Oh my goodness! But, I'm worried about that though, Madison, with these glasses to see what kind of information, how much of a download is that going to incur to have that on your glasses? What what's going to come from this jeez i don't know i i imagine it's going to be like every other technology the first thing is like so expensive when it comes out and then as everyone you know catches on it's going to get less and less so yes we will have google glasses my kids will does it have a <laughs> big g years. in the corner how do you know how are they going to advertise that you actually have the google glasses yeah they had a picture actually of what they look like and there's a, like a bar over the top of like so that's how yeah so it's pretty apparent when you have it on there, mm-hmm. but I'm waiting for the conversation to be coming to the house of, oh man, my son's glasses took us over our data cab. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds so wrong. <laughs> oh my goodness! So but, All right, let's go on. Yes, uh, may I just point out that I thought that it was interesting that Skyler pointed out with the um, the Iron Man stuff when he's wearing you know his Iron Man shirt and his shoes today, but no cape. Is that because Iron Man Matt's doesn't gone? wear a cape? It's true. Uh, I guess he's just like a, he's like a robot superhero. So. <laughs> yeah. so now you need the Google glasses to complete your outfit. Yes. There you go. That's why I'm so excited about them. <laughs> Very excited. All right. Yay. Well, from there we went on to Bryce had something else to add to the Google glasses or something else interesting. Well, if we're talking, you know, being able to record video just about anywhere, there's the popularity of the GoPro cam, the helmet mounted yes. cameras. It's not a GoPro. It's the same kind of idea, but there was a rugby game between the Queensland Reds and the NSW, I'm not going to say this right, the Waratahs. <laughs> anyway, they had a rugby game, normal rugby game like any other, except the ref had this little uh, camera on his head. Oh, wow. And the idea that they have is... Uh, Skylar's shaking his head. Yo, go go ahead. Well, I just think that's genius. Like, I'm so sick of, like, watching sports games where refs make terrible calls. They look at the playback. They they try and, like, get, like, different angles of the playback. And, like, just where the cameras are set up in the stadium or the, the field, wherever it is, it's, like, impossible. And I'm jumping ahead. I don't even know what you're going to oh, say yeah. about this. But <laughs> yeah. but I just think it's it's – I think that's a very genius idea because now you can see exactly what the ref sees and you can have more views. I think if every ref has that, it's just more views to get because I hate – Especially when the game's on the line and the ref makes a stupid, dumb call. And it, and I think it's unfair that that's how games are decided too often. Wow. And I think, number one, it increases the ref's accountability. That's Absolutely. Which, which is important. Yes. That's great. But also, if there's two or three guys on the field right next to players um, who originally could you know, get away with kind of whatever they wanted, mm-hmm. aside from the rules of the game, 
um, that'll be a little accountability for them if the ref can be right in their face. You know when they, you know when you see players yell at refs. Imagine if we could record that. I have a feeling it'd be really foul and it'd be really bad. But if they had it recorded, I, I feel like players they would shape up. Yeah, I would that, hope so. That it would really sort of change it because. You know, you have if you watch games from you know the '60s and '70s, the replays on ESPN. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ridiculous the stuff that they would do, just because they had three cameras that were miles away yeah. and that were using grainy film to figure out. And now we have these high def cameras that can zoom in and they can. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then eventually, are they going to have all of the players wear cameras? Why not? Have everyone right. wear a camera. Everyone is digital online. Everybody's hooked in. Choo, 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 choo. We're all set. Okay, There's... did your foot, you, the guy's looking down. Did you actually cross the line with exactly. that ball? Did you really push that person? Who yeah. was holding? Who was doing that? Oh, you could put a camera in the football. <gasps> there you go. <laughs> Why haven't session. we done that? Do like a, me- a motion sensor. Did he cross the line? Do, 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 right. Touchdown. It'll know. They, they actually have done some stuff. They call it a camera cloud. So mm-hmm. there's these little... Are called quadrotors. They're these helicopter robot things with four, um, I guess, rotors. Okay. All right. And they can make them pretty small. They're getting smaller, but they want to put cameras on all of them so that there's, you know, 200 of them that are just floating around and oh they goodness. can wow. keep track of everything, which that's a little ridiculous right now. But, you know, we'll see what the future holds. If referees can get cameras on their heads, why can't we have little robots all <laughs> over the place? Okay. Yeah. I just well, envisioned all of a sudden a bunch of little snitches yeah. all over the place. Exactly. Little wings floating around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I think we went from, you know, referee cams to snitches flying around. I think that escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how much longer is it going to take? If you've got one ref wearing a camera, then you've got all the refs wearing a camera well why not have the players wearing cameras then they would see what was going on put it on the football Uh, it's just a matter of time eventually there's going to be a information overload exactly (laughs) and then you'll have to buy 50 tvs or different screens to catch all of the information going on i want it from my favorite player's viewpoint how he played the game that could actually be a market in itself see what your favorite player is thinking who has the most fans watching from their camera set they would sell individual time Depending and then on that. premium on because you can already go to and it's NBA.com and mm-hmm. you can buy the games you want to watch, buy the players you want right. to watch, and then follow them out of the stadium. Oh dear, <laughs> there really is no see, privacy. Soon. See, Skyler is getting excited. We could be millionaires <laughs> with this idea. <laughs> and movie stars love their privacy as it is, you know. So we'll just have them start wearing cameras too. And okay. It'll be- <laughs> I think there's a movie somewhere in the future out of this already that's going to come. All right. Well, (laughs) from exploiting all of our players on the field and bringing them on, Madison, you have a story also that's maybe not as happy. But um, yeah, what have you got for us today? Well, there you go. You know, we're talking about just even in social media, how that can affect, you know, business and how you can follow your players, stuff like that. Well, now there are things for children where children can get in even younger into social media games. There's this game in 13 languages on PlayStation 3 called Little Big Planet. And um, these kids, you can discover, collect, create, and customize two- and three-dimensional art objects. They're called poppets. We have oh, Little have Big it. Planet 1 and 2 at home. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we do. My kids love that game. Yeah. But see, like, they can share it. You know, they can create your levels, apparently. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's interesting because it's talking about the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. So it's talking about how it can increase your literacy with certain web you know, interfaces. Mm-hmm. I think that this is pretty important 
for children. It'll be interesting to see what I actually do when I have kids. But um, it's almost becoming necessary now to have your kids be somewhat adept at computers. There's just no way that you could even get a job now where it's like, um, I don't know quite like how to do this whole, you know, word you know, Microsoft Word thing, you know, they have to know how to do all these certain things. And so it's talking about how this is great. Like it teaches them, you know, how to create all these things. Um, But it also introduces them to social media sites at an even younger age. But um, something that they are expressing concern about is how we have not done enough studies to determine whether or not this is good or not. At the age that they say that this interest in social media peaks, is that from when you're seven to nine years old? Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting because in the developmental psychology, that's when children start becoming more aware about others. And so now they get into social media online. And so they just go, you know, we don't know if this is necessarily a good thing or not. Right. So they're just kind of going, yes, it has these good benefits, but we don't quite know the cons yet. So they are just, um, it's this article from the Christian Science Monitor just expressing concern and kind of giving a wary, Mm -hmm. you know, warning of like, you know, just make sure that everything feels regulated. Interesting. Well, I know my kids play Little Big Planet a lot. They have a lot of fun. My The little poppets that you can design, they have little wedding gowns and different dresses and things that you can have coming around. And uh, my kids have hours of fun on that, playing it and going through all of the tricks. So I'll be interested to hear about the pros and cons of that coming up. You are listening to The Matt Townsend Show, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Sirius, Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I spy with my computer-tracked eyes how this technology will change lives for everyone. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Touchscreens were a breakthrough in computer interactivity, but we've seen the next step, and it's seen us too. They call it gaze interaction, which is a fancy name for tracking your eyes to determine what you're looking at and letting the direction and intensity of that gazing drive a computer mouse. The camera is built into the computer display or in an attachment you add to the screen. Using algorithms that track the very fleeting movements of your eyes and timing how long you look as well as how wide your eyes get, the gaze tracker does a credible job of going where you think you want it to go. Many users claim it's such an intuitive way to drive a computer, it feels a lot like telepathy. One company uses a modified arcade game of asteroids to promote gaze control. Everything on the screen is eye-driven and surprisingly controllable. Applications for cars are in development to let you activate controls without taking your eye off the road and to warn that you might be dozing off at the wheel. That trick alone could save 250,000 drivers a year in America. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Listen to BYU Radio to color your world. Eric Dowdle is a renowned artist who paints pictures about unique cultures and locales every weeknight on BYU Radio. On Traveling with Eric Dowdle, you'll discover hidden gems through the eyes of locals, including the kinds of things you just can't miss. Listen to Traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. 
another great BYU radio program to color your world. Find it on Sirius XM Channel 143. BYU Radio. Talk about good. And you're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kristen Hawkins filling in for Matt today. I hope he's not drowning anywhere, just taking in some sun and... uh, yeah, watch those daiquiris there, Matt. You can't drown in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> we hope not. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Was it, was it Hawaii? Was it Tahiti or Fiji? Somewhere they all very sound nice good. and warm. He's actually speaking at some kind of a conference or something in Hawaii. Yeah, that's it's, what he says uh, so he can he's get the free such plane a hard ticket life. going there. He had yeah. it uh, booked out months in advance, and he said he'd probably need it. It was such a hard Speaking engagement, he needed a few days afterwards. Yes. Which, yes. to that, I say he. I know he. Most he's ever spoke is what two hours. Oh, and he's poor taking man. a week. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I don't know. That's fishy really to me. Hard yeah. gig. World's smallest violin playing just for you, Matt. We miss you and hope that you come back with a big sunburn. Okay. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be fun? We won't ask to see it though. All right. As parents, it is a bit hard to get used to social media because, well, I didn't grow up with it. You know, I might say, I don't need this. This isn't something that's in my life. But what about my kids? My kids are right in the middle of this. When they say they don't need it, should we take it as a sign? Our producer, Madison Allred, is giving us her view on Twitter. Twitter. Oh, geez. I think that this is kind of ironic because I just did a promo to follow BYU Radio on Twitter. But truly, I just don't get it. I joined Twitter about a year ago because I knew it was the next big thing and I should learn how to use it. I uploaded a profile pic and got a cute background so that when I started my Twitter takeover, it would be legit and it would look nice. So when I was done and started to look around the site, I noticed something kind of weird. Twitter pretty much does the same thing as Facebook except for it has a stricter word limit. I just really think to myself, what is the point? It's a bit redundant when we have Facebook and LinkedIn. When you want to connect with someone like a friend or to keep in contact with someone, you just friend request them, you become friends, send each other's messages, they can look at your photos, etc. There you go, bada bing bada boom. If you want to connect with a person for business reasons or a company, you just connect with them on LinkedIn. Some people may say that they get most of their news from Twitter, but really, how can you tell if it's legit or not with all of this spam? Also, you can do pretty much the same thing with Facebook. You share a link to an article you like, or you follow a certain news outlet that you like, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, stuff like that. Also, what is with the hashtags? They link to other posts where people hashtag the same stuff, but what in the heck is the purpose? It's just a short way to say what you think without having to write out a full sentence. For example, hashtag I love ice cream. Really? Could you not just have put in spaces, ended with a period, and it would be a full sentence, or at least a phrase? I think it's just kind of your laziness speaking. It's just to have like a diarrhea of the mouth, just kind of put out there what you're thinking, what you're saying. I think it's just being lazy. The whole at symbol I get because you're tagging the other person, either, you know, if it goes onto your Facebook page or onto your Twitter so that they can click on it and see the person that you're talking about. But really? Hashtags? Nuh-uh. It's just dumb. 
Some use Twitter to follow celebrities, like my best friend is obsessed with One Direction, and she uses it to get updates from them on how their tour is going and other stuff like that. But for me, I'm not so much a celebrity worshiper, so I really cannot think of one that I would want to follow and know what they are thinking at every second. Others use Twitter to give a shout out to a friend or something, but why not just text them? Even call them on the phone, or heaven forbid, meet up with them and actually do something. Say, "Oh, I just really miss this and this person." Why don't you just call them, or why don't you make plans to see them? There you go, problem solved. So, may I ask, what do you use Twitter for? Should I continue using it, and is there any real value in this social media outlet? All right, I have a confession to all of you. I I need to let you know I am not on Twitter. I have never been on Twitter. I don't know even how to set up an account on Twitter. So Madison, um, help me. Hashtags. What is what is this? I can't even. You're gonna have to educate me here. Okay, so the only real way that I can think of explaining hashtags is that it's an easier way. What does it look way... like? What is a hashtag anyway? It's the pound symbol. So it's just you know the. Two Why do lines... they say hashtag? Why don't they say pound symbol? No idea. Wait, okay. you're saying it's easier? How does it make anything okay, easier no, no, at all? no, 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 no. Because I think it's annoying and I frustrating and confusing. I was not able to finish my thought. <laughs> Let's let Madison have her say here. Okay, justify this for us. Um, on Twitter, it's easier to search for similar topics. So if you hashtag um, dogs, that's what Bryce kind of used an example when we were talking okay. about this earlier. So if you're like, my dog is so cute, and you put a picture of your dog, and then you do hashtag dogs, and let's say... You are a dog lover, and then you click on that hashtag dog because it becomes a hyperlink. Then you can see all the other posts that mention dogs. So, but I, can't someone go on there and, and hashtags dogs and put something that's totally inappropriate or something you really don't want to see, but because it oh, has yeah. that hashtag, you're stuck looking at it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that done very often? Um, am I am I the only person on the earth that thinks these terrible, horrible things? I would. No, I no, I think it happens, sure, but like most people wouldn't do that. What do you think, Bryce? I, you know, with I get the idea behind the hashtags. It makes it so that you can hit content easy. Um, but like, it, I don't know. It's it gets abused. I think that's the problem with it. Like mm-hmm. a message will be entirely made up of hashtag words. Oh my goodness! And so. Hashtag I, dogs, hashtag ice creams, yeah. hashtag Saturday at the park, um, yeah. hashtags, yeah. and so or like entire sentences that are hashtag. No, it's yeah. a mess, um, and then it started showing up on Facebook. Which I, what is wrong with doing the hashtags on Facebook? Well, I know it has no serves no practical purpose, but if I post an article that says Congress is going to do blah 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 blah, I don't want to go to the trouble to be like it looks like Congress is planning to do blah blah blah. I think this is a really stupid idea because blah, blah, blah. I can just hit pound, stupid, <laughs> and then I don't have to write it anymore. I think it's, it's the same thing as how taking the vowels out of words was an easy way to shorten them. Yeah, that is so go. funny. We had this conversation Sunday with some of my family members and how they were saying they never do that anymore. They write out the whole word. They, you mm-hmm. know, They're going to write out something. It's not B and then the number four or C and then U and later. And then I think – my opinion, that that shortening of the words started when we first started texting. And 
and you had only so many characters, right? That 160. You exactly. got to make use you of it. You've got to make it short. You've got to get it so and so you you were doing everything you could to put in as much information in that 160 characters. But now everybody has unlimited texting, right? Yeah. You go on as long as you want and then you're ready, you know. So I'm going to write later down. I'm going to write see you in the afternoon. I don't know. I'm just learning how to text myself, but I love it. And you are listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You've just listened to part of our show. Is there anything you're wondering about? Do you have a question you need answered or a thought to share? Maybe you have a story you'd like to tell. Call into BYU Radio during one of our talk shows and chat with one of our hosts. The number is 855-CHAT-BYU. That's 855-242-8298. We'd love to hear from you. Just call 855-CHAT-BYU. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Colorado lawmakers have approved a measure to allow civil unions for same-sex couples in the state. The state's governor has already expressed his support and is expected to sign the measure into law. A judge entered a not-guilty plea for accused Aurora, Colorado theater shooting suspect James Holmes today. Holmes' defense is expected to center on an insanity plea. On Capitol Hill, Paul Ryan has unveiled the GOP budget proposal for 2013, and once again, the Republicans are pushing for deficit reduction. The plan could produce a surplus within a decade. However, Democrats have already released a competing budget offering. The Senate Judiciary Committee has given their okay for expanded background checks on all persons wishing to purchase a firearm. All Republicans who voted on the measure voted against it. NASA scientists say the Curiosity Mars rover has found evidence that Mars could have once supported at least microbial life. Samples from deep crags suggest that rivers ran on the red planet billions of years ago. In world news, black smoke in Vatican City. After the first vote of the conclave, there is unsurprisingly no consensus among the cardinals about who will be the next pope. From now on, there will be two votes every morning and afternoon until a leader is chosen. British Prime Minister David Cameron says Argentina should respect a referendum vote in the Falkland Islands, which overwhelmingly called for continued allegiance to the United Kingdom. Argentina has once again been trying to claim the islands. Iranian officials are considering suing the American film industry for the recent Best Picture Oscar-winning film Argo. Tehran officials called the film CIA propaganda. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Matt has not changed his voice. I'm Kristen Hawkins filling in for him today. We wish him well wherever he's at and hope he brought his little floaties with him. Uh, But I do have a special guest in studio today. Paul Bingham is a special supervisory agent for the Provo Resident Agency of the FBI. Welcome, Paul, to the studio. Thank you. 
We are. You look very nice today. I'm very impressed. I I I want to know now. Can I ask you more about your job? Will you have to shoot me afterwards? Or I I don't know with this FBI thing if that's okay or. You can ask any questions you want. And then if there's a sudden silence, uh, listeners, you'll know that I, I've either been told I can't, he can't respond to that or I've stopped breathing, one or the other. <laughs> um, Paul, today we're talking about online safety. Now, we've talked about different things that are involved with um, media and social networking, but I'm kind of new to this. I, I, I didn't grow up with social networking. What exactly is this? What are social networking sites and how do they work? Most all of us who are parents these days did not grow up with this. It's true. Uh, it it kind of came along with the internet and then, of course, with the explosion of uh, personal electronic devices, the uh, smartphones, tablets, uh, laptops, yes. then the accessibility of uh, the internet and the connections that that makes among all uh, people worldwide yes. just, just explodes exponentially. So social networking sites... Uh, primarily are are just that ways uh, online or uh, on data enabled devices mm-hmm. ways that uh, people connect with each other, be it through posting uh, pictures, videos, uh, interesting tidbits about themselves or um, things that they like, hobbies, uh, interests. Now, let's specify that this is not like a, a social networking site is not just instant messaging or something like that, it, it requires a little bit more to be a social networking site. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I'd say that's correct. So uh, what's the difference between instant messaging and actually having a social network site? What makes the difference? The social network site, uh, Facebook is a great example of okay. that. Uh, it, it allows somebody, a user, to establish their uh, their online persona, I guess, and and to broadcast or post uh, whatever they find interesting or whatever they would like their friends or uh, even strangers, if they choose to allow that, to learn about them. So you're building, uh, you're putting on, I, I'm on Facebook, I admit that, you know, and so you put your likes and your dislikes, you can put your birthday on there, um, relationship status, or y- you can put as much or as little information on there as you want, right? To include, yes, where you live, where you go to school, yes. who your friends are, of course. Children, if you have children, relatives that are close by. Right. So that would be the definition of a social network, where you're actually putting information about yourself on on that site. Yes. Correct? Yeah, as opposed to the instant messaging, which you asked, which is uh, if I want to instant message you, the two of us have a conversation with each other, right. and then it's over. Okay. The social networking site, if I had that, I would post whatever I wanted on to there, mm-hmm. and then uh, it, it stays there. Whether I'm online or not, it's right. there for the for the world to see. Right. Now, I, I've had a lot of fun with Facebook because I've connected with high school friends or college friends. I haven't seen, I still, you know, haven't seen them for 20 years, but yet I've been able to connect with them. I I admit I'm not the most active person on Facebook, so it's more like the the getting and the having rather than the communicating. But that's that's really good. Isn't that a good thing to be able to connect with so many people in your life and, and have all this networking? Sure. Uh, there, the the challenge that we that we face is uh, primarily with younger people, adolescents. Okay. Say as young as, um, really as young as eight to ten years old, up through up until they become adults, because that that's when we're when we. Now you're saying eight year olds have Facebook accounts. Yes. 
I, I thought when I signed up, it was like you had to be 13 to do this. Is that not true? Or you just had a parent support you in doing it? Is that how it works? Or? I, I admit I don't know all the rules that, mm-hmm. that Facebook has. But as you and everybody else signs up for an account, you simply click on a box and say, I, I am this age. I want to be on Facebook. Or I accept these rules and, uh, and off you go. Wow. Eight-year-olds on Facebook. That's amazing. So what, what, um, what's the problem with an eight-year-old being on Facebook? The, I hesitate to say the problem because right. I don't want to inject my own my sure. own because there are some really opinion. good things about it, right? There sure. are some great with parental influence and in that this is great. Kids can talk to people, maybe kids that are moving a lot or have families that don't stay in one location a lot. This could be a really good thing. Yes, the but challenge the challenge is uh, especially children and even young adolescents don't understand the the dangers that lurk beyond that the uh, 12-year-old girl who likes uh, pink and likes mm-hmm. to do all of the same things that your young daughter may like to do right. may not actually be a 12-year-old girl who likes pink. Oh, my pink. goodness. Who could they be? Well, of course. Uh, You've got your predators <laughs> going on, right? Creepy old men. <laughs> Ew. All right. So I guess we need to talk about that. Um, is there a lot of that going on? It, it's pretty prevalent in the world today, isn't it? Unfortunately, uh, while I work here in Provo, Utah, this is a this is a national problem. It's pervasive throughout every community, and uh, sometimes people ask us to place a, a demographic, a, a profile of what, what's a what's a predator like. Right. Yes, and unfortunately, there's uh, it, it cuts across all age groups. It cuts across all uh, economic groups. And so um, the the profile is that there there just are bad people, possibly uh, wow. everywhere. Next door, across the street, across the town, in another state. Correct. But they're connecting with your child through Facebook, through Twitter, through other online social networking sites. In your living room or in their bedroom. Oh my goodness. Okay, so what happens when this when we do this? Uh, I've I've got this article out from the FBI that I find I didn't realize this, but it it says that children don't often realize they cannot take back the online text and images that they post. I would think that's that's really true. You don't realize once you say something online, it's it's there. People can bring that up. Can you talk more about that, Paul? When yeah. You see that? The, the unfortunate fact is if is if a young person. Um, posts an image, is lured into post, posting an image which ha, uh, is inappropriate, even if they post it for a short time, say, on a, on a social networking site, and then delete it subsequently, right. as long as that site was on or that uh, image was on their site, then anyone who had access to that site could have saved that file and then can take it and upload it on their own sites or, or trade it with other people. So it really is true. Once you release any image onto the Internet, uh, it, its life is almost infinite, and you have oh no goodness. control whatsoever about where, where or who it goes to. Wow. So what can we do to help educate our children? What can we do to keep these kids safe? My children are not really... Well, I can't even say that. My 16-year-old has a Facebook account, that, or not a Facebook account, but he's got an account online that I had no idea he was talking with his friend in Boise on. Mostly they use that for gaming and conversing that way, but you really don't always know what's going on with your children, especially as they get older. 
what are some things that I can do as a parent to help educate my children? So we generally recommend the, the, the best tool that any parent has with their children is communication. Right. Uh, the, talk to your children. Don't be afraid to ask what they're doing. Um, especially when we talk about these personal electronic devices, usually mom and dad foot the bill for the for the cell phone. Ain't or... that the truth? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my cell phone bill is a crazy thing. And so, and yet sometimes when we hand the device to our children, then we feel like we're intruding somehow upon their privacy mm-hmm. because, well, that's their phone. But when we're, when we're paying for it, easily we have justifiable right to ask them about it. That's true. Uh, I, I also liken it to parents who want to make sure that their children are not uh, consuming alcohol or taking drugs. It's the same kind of level of communication and an establishment of trust, but also a system of verification that goes on so that uh, because you, while you can you can control what your children consume within the walls of your own house, you can all, you, you have really no idea what they're going to do once they leave the house. That's very true. And it's very similar with the computer behavior. On the computer, if it's in your kitchen, that's a great place to have it. Uh, everybody can see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But especially now with, uh, with, the, with the portable devices, those leave the house with your children. And, uh, and you have no idea what happens once they leave the walls of your Home. Oh my goodness! So monitor your children's use of the internet, right? Make sure you know what it's what it's doing. Keep it in an open area, somewhere that they that everyone can see. Um, what about disclosing personal information? How do you talk to your kids about that? Uh, just that. Talk to your kids about right. that. Uh, review with them what is acceptable and what is not acceptable to to disclose about themselves. So what would be an, an appropriate thing to disclose? I suspect every every family would have their own rules, but okay. especially in, in my house, the younger the child, the less information I oh, want them to good, disclose. Right. That's a good that's that's a good rule I think. Um, check your kids' profiles and see what they post online. Also read and follow the safety tips posted on the various sites. I the tips change from site to site, what you can do and what you can't do. Yes, or? and and the permissions allowed, how much how much your children's sites allow other people in to see their information. Okay. And ask your children to let you be a friend on their social networking site so that you can pop in any time you'd oh. like and be in the middle of Catch at least the public conversations. What's going on with that. Right. Now, you have to be careful even then. They have some way of doing like instant chatting back and Private forth on face, Facebook, right? So yes. even then, you're going to get a, a willful child or someone who may be doing things online that you're going to have to check up on and make sure or talk with them about. Again, that communication thing, very important. Um, I, I really like this one. Remind kids to only add people that they know in real life or to their contact list. That's that's kind of funny. You have to say that, don't you? Not your cyber friends, but your on your real life friends. You know. And if and if children would avoid that, that one thing would be the uh, would be the primary thing that would help them to avoid online predators. Really? Oh, I I, I thought that was very that was very appropriate. Um, encourage uh, encourage kids to choose appropriate screen names or nicknames, um, and talk to your kids about creating strong passwords. Now, what does that mean? Strong passwords? Just uh, to make it harder for somebody to guess what what uh, to somebody to guess 
their password because then they could access the account, essentially take over the account. Oh, my goodness. And maybe post post things that, that your child would not have otherwise posted. They could hack my eight-year-old's account. Yes. Actually get into it. This is amazing. We are talking to Paul Bingham, who is a special supervisory agent for the Provo Resident Agency of the FBI. And you are listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. How small can you make a satellite? And what can you do with it once you've built it? Call home, obviously. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. NASA's space technology program stimulates creative new thinking in the application of advanced tech that's as useful in space as it is on Earth. So here's an idea. It's often claimed we flew men to the moon with computers less powerful than what's inside today's smartphones. So can a smartphone fly in space? Only one way to find out. Nanosats are really tiny satellites, a cube only four inches on a side. They're about the size of a decent cup of coffee. The PhoneSat mission built three prototypes very quickly, with a budget of only $3,500 each. They kept costs down by using off-the-shelf smartphones as the guts of the tiny orbiters. Nanosat 1 has a simple job of taking pictures and texting back messages about the onboard conditions. Nanosats 2 and 3 step up their game by adding solar panels, GPS, and electromagnetic stabilization to keep their cameras pointed straight. Popular Science awarded Nanosat the 2012 Best of What's New Award. Future fleets of Nanosats might combine to study the sun or explore other worlds while phoning home their findings. I better take that. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Broadcast from the campus of BYU, the Wheatley Forum brings you topics ranging from fostering integrity to financial security. Join expert researchers and panelists to hear uplifting and motivating scholarly discussions. Tune in to The Wheatley Forum, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. And we're back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kristen Hawkins filling in for Matt today. Paul Bingham is our guest in studio, a special supervisory agent for the Provo Resident Agency of the FBI. And he just confessed to me that he feels more comfortable holding a gun than talking over a microphone. Paul, we're glad you're here unarmed today. I am armed, but you it's are, hidden. But it is harmed. <laughs> My goodness, now I'm nervous again. We are talking about how to keep our kids safe. And Paul's been giving us some really good tips about things that we can do to educate ourselves, parents like you and me, um, that didn't grow up with this Facebook and Twitter. And this is all new information for us. Uh, Paul, talk to us a little bit more about encouraging our kids. How can we tell them what is an appropriate message to send? What is not appropriate? You gave me some really, well, a couple of really sad stories just yesterday and today that have happened. Appropriate is, uh, 
is again depending on the age of the child and right. and what your own personal or family standards might be. But uh, the the key again is whether it's looking over your child's shoulder while they're online in the in the kitchen, hopefully not in their bedroom, right? And uh, or as as a visitor, as an allowed visitor to their social networking page, is to review that and and frankly. Not again. Not being afraid if something is uh, is e- either alarming or or just inappropriate to you as a parent to to help your child understand why that uh, why you think that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Explain to them uh, perhaps the message that somebody could could the wrong message yes. that somebody could get if they review that, and then ask them to change it. Oh my goodness! And. The sad truth is often these predators go online and they will try to orchestrate meetings with your child. They will try and get together with them or try and get them to send pictures or uh, photos or videos of inappropriate material. No child or really anyone should be sending over the lawn, over internet. That happens more and more frequently or is that something that you with the FBI are trying to control and catch these people? Yeah, we really don't can't control what goes out on the internet, okay. but uh, but we do try and enforce the the laws to help protect our children. The FBI has uh, what's known as the Innocent Images National Initiative, okay. and that's the that's the effort to to help keep children safe and to eliminate online predators. How can uh, I, as a parent, be involved in that? I mean, obviously, I'm going to work with my children. What if I see something like this or I think that there is a predator online or someone talking to my child, trying to talk to my child that I don't know? Then uh, you can call the FBI office or you can also call your local police department. Uh, the uh, We also partner with our state and local partners, agencies who have Internet Crimes Against Children task forces, which which partner with our Innocent Images task forces. Okay. And uh, the agents who work those task forces all receive special training, both in uh, both in how to handle these crimes, as well as how to how to talk to your children who may have been victimized. Wow. Sometimes they're they're embarrassed to to admit certain things, or sometimes they're reluctant to admit for for other reasons. That's they're afraid true. they're going to get in trouble. And um, in fact, our folks who work this also uh, receive periodic uh, support and evaluation to make sure that the the things that they're investigating are not. Uh, damaging their own personal lives as well, oh, wow. because uh, unfortunately, the ugly side of this is that there are uh, real cases of children who are who are harmed and taken advantage of. Even here, locally, of course, nationally, all over, this is happening worldwide. We're having problems. Yeah, with this. all over. That's really sad. Um, Let's see, if we go on to some of the, the, these other uh, tips that we can do, ask your kids about the people they are communicating with online. Make it a rule with your children they can never give out personal information or meet anyone in person without your prior knowledge and consent. If you agree to a meeting between your child and someone they met online, talk to the parents or guardians of the other individual first and accompany your kids to the meeting in a public place. I think that's really important. If you are going to do this, make sure everything is out in the open, everything's public, and you have help, you have support if needed. Yeah, and the most da- the, uh, the the challenge is that your your children. Um, I guess there's there's kind of two scenarios. One is the sort of more vulnerable adolescent who is uh, lonely, sad, nobody understands me. Mm-hmm. There therein lies a problem because perhaps mom and dad aren't aren't 
communicating effectively enough already. That's true. And uh, so they fi- they befriend an adult who who may in essence, take the place of their parents and right. offer the kind of support and love and and guidance that, that the child is seeking. Mm-hmm. That's a very dangerous situation. The other is the, the uh, young person, whether it's a boy or a girl, who is just looking for friendship. So like I said earlier, a young girl, oh, here's another 12-year-old girl who loves pink and likes puppies or unicorns, yes. <laughs> just like I do. Right. And, uh, and over time, they they develop this relationship yes. that's completely real to them. And uh, uh, like the tip said earlier, if it's not somebody you actually know, then you really have no idea who's on the other other side of that. That's true. And they could send any kind of a picture. I mean, they could get a picture from, from anywhere and say, oh, this is my face. This is what I look like. But you don't know if that's real. You you really can't judge that. Right. And, and uh, of course, we're trying to, we're trying to See the positive side of this, but yes. the, but the sad truth is, as children as young as uh, twelve to fourteen years old will uh, up and leave home and travel to another state to go meet up with their with their best friend. Oh my goodness! And uh, and they once they get there, they find out it's not their best friend. And this is where we get all of the missing children that are never heard of again. In some mm. circumstances. Hopefully that will become less and less the case. Thank you so much for giving this information. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with? Um, just parting words, how can we help with our children? Last things that we can do with this. I think I know what you're going to say, but what can we do to work with our children? What can we do to help them stay safe? I Yes, I'll repeat myself. <laughs> Talk to them. Yes. Talk to them and be, be as much a part of their life as you can. Uh, whether it's whether it's online or offline, uh, the the offline relationships you have with them will uh, will give them less cause to go looking for those relationships online. Of course, that's true. And then, uh, but teenagers love to talk to other teenagers, and so uh, make sure that you're a part of their online life as well, uh, so that you're a friend on their social networking pages and and that that becomes uh, a part of your everyday conversation, such as, so I saw that you and, and Sharon or whomever were, were talking about this online. Yes. So they know you're looking and they also know that, uh, that it's okay to talk about that part of their life with you. That's true. That's very good. And I like how you said that with your offline um, your your offline relationships. If you have healthy relationships face-to-face talking with people, then this could be a really good enhancement for it. Don't you think, Paul? I mean, you'll be yeah. able to um, use this not as a replacement for your family life if it's truly terrible or horrible. We, we hope that's not the case. But building good relationships um, – with people that are in your life close by that you do know about that you can, um, I don't know, speak with face-to-face, then these online things can be a nice addition, but they won't take over your whole life and involve you with people you really can't trust. Very well said. Thank you so much for being in studio with us today, Paul. It's my Um, pleasure. I'm glad that I didn't know about a concealed weapon before you walked in the door, but we're really glad that you're here today. You are listening to The Matt Townsend Show, and I'm Kristen Hawkins, substituting for Matt, who is not here today. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
one fearless fowl has flown more missions than even some astronauts. Meet Camilla, the rubber chicken, NASA's ambassador to school kids. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In a world of precision high-tech equipment like the space program, you can order up titanium bolts, advanced rocket fuel, or super-efficient solar panels. But there is no procurement system for obtaining a rubber chicken. And yet this toy that started out as an office gag at a NASA project has become the agency's unofficial ambassador to school children and civilian space events the world over. Nicknamed Camilla, the rubber chicken began as an unofficial mascot for the Solar Dynamics Observatory team, where she was often photographed next to equipment being used for solar science. Now she's flown in F-18 jets. She's floated with a balloon to the edge of space. She's in line to ride a Soyuz rocket to the space station. And a funny thing happened. As Camilla's photo kept popping up in various NASA aircraft and experiments, she gained popularity with the public, particularly kids. Camilla is the biggest rubber chicken on Facebook and Twitter. Astronauts and scientists visiting schools bring Camilla along to break the ice and make talking to real space experts less intimidating. Everywhere she goes, Camilla opens a conversation about science. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Start your morning right by listening to Marcus Smith and the Morning Team. With news, current events, entertainment, and lively conversation, the morning show is here to kickstart your day. The movie will be better than the radio. No, 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 no. The radio is always best. The radio is always best. (laughs) Join Marcus and the team for the morning show. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Colorado lawmakers have approved a measure to allow civil unions for same-sex couples in the state. The measure will provide the benefits, protections, and responsibilities that traditional couples have to all gay couples. A judge entered a not guilty plea for accused Aurora, Colorado theater shooting suspect James Holmes today. Holmes' defense is expected to center on an insanity plea. On Capitol Hill, the Senate Judiciary Committee has given their okay for expanded background checks on all persons wishing to purchase a firearm. All Republicans who voted on that measure voted against it. Pentagon officials are promising to do all they can to protect the F-35 stealth fighter program, which so far has proved to be problematic and the most expensive U.S. military weapons program ever. Curiosity, NASA's Mars rover, has discovered evidence that the red planet could have once, at one point, supported at least microbial life. Rock samples show rivers once flowed across the surface. In world news, black smoke in Vatican City. After the first vote at the conclave, there is unsurprisingly no consensus among the cardinals about who will be the next pope. From now on, there will be two votes every morning and every afternoon until a new leader is chosen. U.K. citizens living on the Falkland Islands want to remain under British rule, according to a referendum vote which was nearly unanimous. British Prime Minister David Cameron says Argentina, which has been pushing for ownership of the islands, should respect the decision. Iranian officials are considering suing Hollywood Industries for the recent Best Picture Oscar-winning film Argo. Tehran officials call the film CIA propaganda. 
That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. And welcome back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kristen Hawkins filling in for Matt today. And online with us now, we have Bob Lowry. He is the Senior Executive Director of the Missing Children's Division of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Hello, Bob. How are you today? Hello, Kristen. Uh, Thank you for having me. Now, where are you calling from? Well, I'm in Utah, and it's just sunny, and we're having a great day here. Where are you at? Actually, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, the sun is shining here, and it's a beautiful day here as well. Oh, wonderful. Well, you have a very interesting job. Can you give us a little overview of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children? What is this about? Sure, Kristen. We, uh, we, we've been established since 1984 as the National Clearinghouse for Missing and Exploited Children. Uh, we're congressionally mandated. Um, in fact, my division is funded largely uh, by the Department of Justice, and we provide resources uh, and um, information to law enforcement, uh, families, and social services, uh, and anything to do with missing and exploited children. Uh, primarily through the Missing Children's Division, we work with law enforcement and families each day to locate and uh, safely recover children. And, you know, it's just rather in a nutshell, but uh, that's our main mission is to uh, protect children. Now, I said interesting job, of course. This can be very tense, and, and you're trying to find these children that are in crises or not not located you're you're trying to find that what sort of resources um do you use social media yourself in trying to help find these children oh yes we do as a matter of fact uh, we use social media every day and uh, frankly it's probably become uh i think we haven't even realized that full um um benefit of using social media, but we use it every day to find kids. Uh, one of the keys to locating children um, and safely returning them home is um, uh, engagement of the public as the eyes and ears for law enforcement uh, so we can let uh, community members know that we're looking for a child, the child's lost or is missing, and we're looking for their help. Uh, I, th- I would say right now uh, about one in six children are recovered as a result of image distribution, and we think social media is going to bring that percentage up much much higher as we uh, uh, we start to get more use of that tool. Wow, that is amazing. One in six are able to be recovered. That's that's great. Now, are you responsible when I go to my grocery store and I see these missing pictures of the children? Is that your agency that does this? We we do have a poster program. Uh, we're in a lot of the supermarkets, Walmart's, Firestones, um, uh, all the all the like, and we are having these posted so for the public to view that we are looking for these children uh, let them know that uh, someone cares and that we need their help in finding them how how many of these children leave on their own versus they were taken forcibly from their homes i always am curious of that when i see these pictures well, that's a very good question because, frankly, when you when you think about a child that's been abducted, you know the, those are the ones that seem to capture our attention, our immediate attention, and for good reason. Uh, these children are in obviously in immediate danger, and we got to get them found and recovered fast uh, before a tragedy occurs. But largely, you know, about eighty percent of the casework that we have on missing children are children that leave on their own. But that doesn't minimize the the risk to these children, and and I see that um, uh, very um, um, 
surely because uh, a lot of times uh, as the public would you know, if you would review a runaway child as just a behavioral problem when in fact uh, there could be many reasons why that child left um, we see many cases where children are running from a situation maybe abuse neglect in the home maybe there's a situation there uh, that they got to get away from we also find children are being lured away from their homes and uh, uh, by those that are willing to take advantage of them or, or exploit them. Uh, so there's all sorts of reasons why children are gone. And I have to tell you that the longer these children are gone and out on the streets, the more vulnerable they are to victimization. So we take those cases very seriously and we ask the public to do the same. It's amazing. I I grew up a very healthy, happy child life, but to have a child so desperate to get out of a situation that they would leave and go on their own, this is a very this is very sad that we have so many children that are out there, but at the same time, do they ever get together in groups or that? Do you find them together or are they most often found on their on their own? Well, you know, children are, are lured, you know, if they're being lured, you know, they may be um maybe finding one another we might uh, we do see a number of children who are lured away and uh, find themselves uh, victims of prostitution um, and that happens with our our older children especially our female girls um, and they're being taken advantage of so more than one missing child may be together because someone has lured them into that uh, world under the false belief that they'll be uh, finding fame and fortune and all the things that uh, all the illusions there when in fact all they are being is victimized and uh, eventually there's tragedies involved. Um, but by and large, most of our children that are runaways uh, are, are alone. Um, they have to seek some way to sustain themselves. And that's why uh, when they're out there, uh, they're especially vulnerable to those who can take advantage of them. So we, we aggressively look for those kids and try to get them back in. We try interventions if there's problems in the homes. We have resources that we can direct law enforcement um, to maybe get an intervention and find out what the problem is. I'm always amazed when I look at the grocery store and I see the age progression uh, pictures where it shows them at this young age when they were last seen or, I don't six or seven, and then it has an age progression to the current day where they'd be 15 or 16. How are you able to do that and how accurate are you able to get these pictures? Well, that's a terrific question. You know, we, about 3,500 of the cases that we're working on each day are what we consider long-term missing children, and long-term would be longer than six months. We age progress these children every three years until they're 21, and we do that because obviously the features of a child changes as they as they grow older and mature. So we'll keep we'll keep those age progressions going, and after their 21st birthday, uh, we'll do that every five years. But I think the program has proven remarkable. We have four artists full time working here at the National Center age progressing children, and we're keeping them quite busy. Uh, but keep in mind it, these are children that have been gone for more than three years, so I got a full staff um, busy age progress these kids. But the, the relevance of that program, I think, could be seen in uh, in the recent recoveries of, say, J.C. DeGard in California. Um, I, I, we believe the likeness that was made by artist renderings of J.C. were awfully close to when we found her and, and fortunately found her and returned her home to her family. Oh, that's a wonderful ending to the story. I, I agree with that. Now, in cases where children have been lured by predators, has there been a common characteristic among the parents or like not knowing the parents don't know about the children's involvement with a particular social media channel? Um, is there anything, any kind of markers that parents can uh, recognize or things that they can look out for signs that a child may be in crisis or might be leaving? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we ask parents and we, we advise parents who call us for that, for, for help to basically have frank discussions with their children about who they're in contact with, who they're, 
who they may be uh, um, uh, sharing information with on social media. You know, Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter seem to be probably the, some of the more popular ones out there that our children are on. So it doesn't hurt for parents to take a look at a profile and just have a discussion that, uh, well, frank discussion with children. And I don't think we have to scare them, but just make them aware that there are people out there in our world who are willing to lure them. Uh, sometimes, you know, that 13-year-old boy who may be communicating with a 13-year-old girl isn't in fact a 13-year-old boy at all. It may well be a 35 or 45-year-old male looking to lure that child out of the house. And we want children uh, just to be aware that if they are being asked to meet someone, make sure they know who that person is. Make sure that if they do go to meet someone, they're confident that that person is, is who they say they are. But let someone know who, you know, or, or have a parent go with them uh, so that they aren't in danger or, or sexually assaulted. Can you say in the past five years uh, a certain percentage has increased or how much this has increased of children being lured through social media versus just people that they've met on the street or people that they've met that try that have tried to lure them away? Well, you know, we have seen some increases, you know, but I but I would have to say, by and large, social media in of itself is a, is a rather safe tool. This is what our uh, I think we're moving very quickly and is one of our primary pieces of, of communications uh, when we're out there. It's not just being used by our children; it's being used by adults as well. You know, so you know, it's like anything else that we have. It's just the proper use, awareness of of what may potentially happen, uh, is all we really need to do um, to educate our our kids just about the possible dangers. I don't think we need to frighten them. I just think we make make them aware, uh, let them make sound decisions, uh, uh, and make sure that parents are communicating and they're and uh, not uh, disciplining their children for something, make it a positive experience. I like how you're saying that. It, it really is true that these online activities can be very fun, very positive, and we don't always need to instantly assume that everything is the worst possible outcome. Uh, your organization is very active online and you have social media. Can you describe things that you're doing to help these children, help all of us understand more about online predators or positive outlooks to outcomes of these things? Yeah, we have our uh, we have guides online uh, for families that they can go onto our missingkids.com website and just click on the families area, and that there are all sorts of publications on there that uh, that you can download uh, and. It gives you talking points with your children, and it's just like I, uh, I've been trying to, or as I've been saying, is that it's just a matter of, uh, you know, being frank. You don't need to frighten your children, but make them aware and um, and make sure that we're talking to our kids. You know, and uh, be, you know, we want to be careful of who they're making friends with online. Uh, make sure that they know those people. Find out what your children are posting online. If they're giving away too much you know, personal identification information, you know, a parent may want to, you know, talk to the child about uh, taking some of that down. And also the, setting the privacy settings might just be a, um, a thing um, that could be simply done uh, to protect the child from, uh, you know, possibly a predator. But again, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think it's something that we need to frighten our children or even to frighten ourselves that this is too dangerous of a tool. When in fact, I think we, we're, we're just now seeing uh, some of the, uh, the capabilities of social media, and I think it's got some outstanding potential. Tell us some positive outcomes. Tell us some stories, um, some success stories that you've had. You you mentioned one with JC, but tell us some other really good things that make you want to go to work because your your job could be really a downer on some days. What are some good things that have happened in you in your work recently? 
Well, you know, we do find children, and uh, we, you know, we have a saying here at the National Center is that we uh, don't provide false hope to families, but we never give up hope, no matter how long those children have been gone. You know, we recently found the child, and no longer a child, but uh, uh, after 42 years, it had been missing. 42 since. years. Yes, we did, and uh, oh we were very, very, very uh, pleased. And, and again, those are the kinds of things that drive us to work. You know, the child was taken as a young, uh, a very young child, and has no recollection of his mother. Um, he was taken by a non-custodial parent, uh, withheld, and they changed his name. Um, and then uh, through some work uh, of the National Center and some other organizations, we were able to uh, properly identify and, and find out who he was. You know, I also point out to uh, there's cases like uh, Carlina White from New York City, uh, who we recently helped. Uh, she had been gone for 23 years. She was taken from a hospital as an infant by a, uh, an abductor, uh, and we did postings online. Uh, and those age progressions that you talked about. Uh, and one day, Carlina was having some doubts about who she might have been because of some inconsistent stories her mother was telling her, or who she believed to be her mother. So she started looking and went to our website, saw that age progression, made a few inquiries, and uh, fortunately, we were helped to uh, help her to get identified through uh, positive matching in DNA and reunited her with her uh, natural parents. So, oh, my goodness. And they were, they've been looking for her all of this time, and then 23 years later, at this newborn baby they last saw, they were able to be reunited with their daughter. It was it was a wonderful story, and uh, and we believe there are many more children like Carlina out there. That's why those 3,500 cases that we're working on each day, we're working, we're rolling up our sleeves because we believe there are other Carlina Whites out there uh, that uh, we may be able to help and get their parents uh, the answers that they need, and and hopefully reunite them safely with their children. But uh, if you ask what drives us to work each day, are cases like Carlina's. Do you get to meet many of these children that you're working to find? Do you do you get to re- help reunite them, or are you background? Are you behind the scenes? Well, we do both, and uh, we have had the, had the real privilege of meeting uh, Carlina and some of the other uh, children that we found after many years. But we also have a family advocacy division here, um, and that staff is uh, solely um, um, their sole purpose is to work with families in distress and in. And and when the children are found, they they work with the families for proper reunification. You know, you got to remember after 23 years, it's quite a shock to a family, even though they've been desperately looking for their child uh, to reunite. So we have professionals here at the National Center work with those families, work with that child to make sure that that uh, reunification is done and it's done meaningful and um, um, and everyone understands. Um, some of the complications that, that may, may be associated with that. Because, again, it's hard to understand. You would think after 23 years you would run back to your parents' arms, but you got to remember that child has never known her parents. So, uh, and so Well, they have to be conflicted. Be yes, they must be conflicted also. They've been raised by this person. Um, possibly that person has not been, well, we would hope they'd not been abusive to them, but here's this entire life that they've built up, and to find out it was all incorrect, it was all a lie and not true. That's right. And and that is difficult for these children, and you know it's almost uh, as there is a shock um, uh, value to that as well. You know that's um, they have to adapt now to uh, uh, new surroundings, new parents, uh, relatives they've never met before. So that can be quite traumatizing for the child and the parents as well. So we have professionals that uh, uh, that have that know how to do this, and they work with those children and those families, and uh, uh, that that's very gratifying work here at the National Center. What made you get involved with this, Bob? What what brought you to this line of work? Well, I spent 30 years in law enforcement before I came here. I actually got involved um, 
uh, as a volunteer with the National Center when I was a law enforcement officer. I helped create the Team Adam uh, program, which is a rapid response um, team of, of professionals from around the country that uh, respond when a child has been abducted to work with law enforcement. Um, that was back in 2003, and an opportunity came up in 2009 uh, to come and head up this division, and I was um, very pr- privileged and uh, fortunate to be selected, So, um, and I've been here ever since. Talk about that Team Adam. Tell me more about it. What what instituted, what made that create be created? You know, when, you know I was mentioning earlier that um, uh, abducted children by predators or sexual um, pedophiles are very rare, fortunately. They occur, I think, by the last study, about 110 times per year mm-hmm. nationally. We have 18,000 law enforcement agencies here in our country, and most law enforcement agencies have never experienced um, an investigation of a child abduction. Team Adam has uh, 68 consultants uh, around the country. Uh, All were selected because of their experience and their knowledge on investigating child abduction. And when a child is abducted, we're notified here at the National Center um, almost immediately through the Amber Alert or through an NCIC flag. And we will then mobilize Team Adam and send uh, our people right to the scene to work with law enforcement to provide them technical assistance and advice on best practices on finding those children and and getting them back home. And I'm very happy to tell you and very happy to report that a good number of those children have been found, not necessarily because of Team Adam, but but the combined efforts of aggressive law enforcement response, the engagement of the public, those Amber Alerts, and you have programs like Team Adam providing technical assistance so that we know that when that child's missing, time is the enemy. We got to move quickly, and we got to get that child back. And we're getting them back now faster than ever, ever in our history. Do you find that more cities are helping you with with uh, this Adam search, or more cities are able to um, help utilize you and work with you to make your job more effective? Well, you know, our job is to make them more effective, and we we provide resources to law enforcement. So when we go out, uh, as we tell law enforcement, we're not there to uh, fly the flag of the National Center. We're there to support the law enforcement agency. They're the ones responsible for that child's investigation. Uh, we're only there to provide them support. And, you know, and I think as our success grows and our uh, and our, the knowledge of law enforcement, uh, we're becoming very well known um, for our, our ability to provide help, and that's what we do. Excellent. I really appreciate talking with you today. It's it's a type of job I, I, I'm sorry that we had to create, but I'm grateful that we have wonderful people like you that take your job very seriously, that are rolling up your sleeves. Like you said, you drive to work every day to help these children reunite with their families and to get home safely. Thank you very much. That was Bob Lowry, Senior Executive Director of the Missing Children Division of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you, Kristen. Have a good evening. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kristen Hawkins, and this is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. On a chemical level, we're all left-handed. A new instrument and development might prove we live in a left-handed universe. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. So what's this about everybody being left-handed? Well, it's not about handwriting, but about organic chemistry and the search for life on other planets. 
You and maybe part of that hamburger you're eating are made up of proteins. The various proteins, in turn, are built from smaller substances called amino acids. There are 20 different kinds, and if you look at one on an atomic level, they have a sort of polarity called chirality. Aminos come in left-handed and right-handed chiralities, but on Earth, all living things we know of use only left-handed amino acids. And so far, samples of amino acids from comets and meteoroids also are all lefties. Stephanie Getty at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center won Innovator of the Year and a $1.2 million grant to develop a miniaturized instrument that can fly to icy moons and worlds and use liquid chromatography to see if this precursor for life exists out there away from Earth contaminants. Was Earth life seeded with left-handed aminos from early comet impacts? When perfected, Getty's device may help answer this question and more. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Let Julie Hanks help you. Whether it's a parenting question, a mental health question, or about balancing your life, Julie wants to give you advice. Catch The Julie Hanks Show Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Submit your questions for Julie by emailing julie at juliehanks.com or by calling in live to the show at 855-CHAT-BYU here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. And you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kristen Hawkins. Welcome back. And we just have a few minutes left. I hope you've enjoyed our show today on online safety. We were able to talk with Bob Lowry, the Senior Executive Director of the Mission Children's Division of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We also talked with Paul Bingham, Supervising Agent for the Provo Resident Agency of the FBI. There are so many social media things out here, so much information that I could give people to uh, tell them about myself. I, Bryce, I think you have something you wanted to add to that. Is that correct? You know, it's some, sometimes our information gets out there, and sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's social media, social media service. I don't even know if I should call it a service. It's, it's more like a requirement or, you know, <laughs> something like that. But our information just kind of gets all over the place, and... I just sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's not, but you know it's just it's a mess. That's what it is. It's a mess. Yeah, that's your that's your final thing for it. It's that's, a mess. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, we are. I I agree with you. There are lots of different things that uh, good information, bad information, too much information. Um, why don't you share some thoughts with us more on this? Can you? Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. You never really know how much information you're just tossing out there into the world. And this has always made me uncomfortable. Just my presence can start filling in the blanks about me. I don't need the internet's help to accomplish this either. Facebook is pretty bad. It asks for totally irrelevant information like my religious or political views and my work location. When I was initially prompted for that information, I thought, definitely no. Since then, when I'm notified to update or fill in that information I omitted, I'm tempted. My hometown? I don't live there anymore. How could it hurt? My current workplace? That's pretty safe, right? Then I think, why should I? As much as we complain about our privacy on Facebook, it's not as bad as 
as the MySpace of the past. There were practically no filters. You were able to provide all kinds of information short of something ridiculous like your social security number or checking account number. Hey, got some cool pictures with your new 3 megapixel camera that you want to post? Whoa there, Tiger. Anyone with an internet connection would be able to look at and comment on those pictures. Sometimes it was pleasant to get a nice word from a stranger, but most of the time my thought was, who are you and how did you find me? We have come pretty far. Facebook has a simple fix to this problem. It'll show you your mutual friends so things are a little less creepy. But even off the internet, you can reveal too much. Let's say you just started a new business that you're pretty excited about. So you get one of those decals to stick on your car. It's good for advertising, right? Well, the ineffectiveness of in-your-face advertising aside, that is one way to think about it. But let me paint a hypothetical situation for you. Let's say I'm someone who's prone to road rage. We're on the road and you drive by with your decal and then you absent-mindedly do something that endangers me. Well, being a mobile rage monster, I have to do something. While I'm deciding what I plan to do to you, I see your phone number, email, the name of your workplace on the side of your car, and I assume you have a home that you will eventually drive to and maybe even park out in front of. Do you see how that information could open up options that are normally unavailable when presented with someone who drives a silver Civic? Now, I don't say this to induce paranoia, but how often do we make information like this available with the best of intentions? So when you have the chance to publicize information about yourself, just ask why. If you can think of a useful reason like listing your current workplace on a business networking site, then yeah, go ahead. But if the information serves no useful purpose, just keep it to yourself. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. I will try and be awesome there, Bryce. (laughs) So are you going to justify that for us? Do you think that uh, too much information is out there? You shouldn't put all this stuff down? I, I would say stay on the safe side and just keep all of the information about you to yourself. But in our world, you kind of have to you have to get on social media. That's just you're you're missing out. You're losing opportunities if you're not on social media. And so I guess that's the cost. That's true. Madison, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, there are even some sites like on LinkedIn where I mean, LinkedIn is very delicate because you can't just go and friend everyone if you actually um, get notified four times by people that you don't know, like that they don't know you, they will block you from LinkedIn. And so you can't go on at all. So you kind of have to be really um, delicate, but you can like request to be introduced by people. But it's very interesting and a very useful fact. But um, there are just a whole bunch of different ways I mentioned to Kristen that um, when he was talking about MySpace, one a relationship that I was in ended because I found a picture of him with another girl in MySpace, you know, and so it's one of those things. Drama. Where it's like, yeah, I know. Skyler just threw back his head and started laughing, but it's like it's so true, and so it's like all this stuff can happen through that, where they, you know, who would know, you know, and it's just like be careful about what you post because it's out there for everyone. It's so true, and I it it really doesn't go away. I don't know much about Facebook. I do use it, but just more like to connect with people that I already see most of the time. Those are the people that post on on things. I could have talked to them two hours ago, but no, I went on Facebook and looked at them there um, <laughs> and, and got this information. But I know, Madison, you talked earlier about how um, one of your relatives, when they were applying for a job, they actually had to give the prospective employer, their Facebook account passwords? Yep. So a lot of times for jobs now, if it's like a really high profile job, they have to give them, you know, their their emails and like all of their account information and um, and their passwords so that they can go on and see everything that you've posted. 
That is very interesting. I don't know if I like that. I guess if you're someone, I don't know if you're going to be a top spy for the country or something like that, or you're going to handle millions of dollars. They want to know if you've been ratting out somebody or if you've been positive or what you've been doing. So I guess I see the pros and cons of that. I do think social media is very important. Um, but yeah, you really have to be careful what what you put on there because it is there forever. I always thought it was kind of nosy that they're like, oh, we want your password. Like, yeah, what, you want my bank ATM pin too? Exactly. <laughs> but they could just create a friend called FBI Joe. And you're applying for a job with the FBI, FBI Joe has to become your friend, and then they can get in and yeah. they they're your friend. That. Just like if, you're, if some, your child is on, all right, this is mom, mom's coming, and she's going to check your Facebook account and make exactly. sure that everything's okay. So should we do this mom for everyone there? Or? I don't know because, like, as you say that, I'm just, like, thinking. And my mother does not have a Facebook account, but that would be kind of weird. But So I see it in some situations. But I guess I would just encourage you to think, okay, would this help in their relationship or not? You know, because in some it is. I know some people who they love being on Facebook, friends with their mom. Like, But then again, I'm Facebook friends with my grandma, and that's great. Yes. Like, and so like that's wonderful in that relationship. But for my mom, I guess I would rather call and tell her things. So, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. I would rather be on with my grandma than with my mom. I do not want my mom on my Facebook account. <laughs> but yet I'm someone's mom, and I better be on their Facebook account when they get yeah. stuck. I'm so a it's a delicate. of some sort, aren't I? Doing well, this? it's delicate. You have to find the right balance with your kid. Oh, that is very fun. We've been talking about social media today, how to stay safe, how to keep your kids safe in uh, this world of technological information, too much information. Uh, we hope that you're safe. We hope that you're having a great day and that you enjoy the sunshine wherever you're at. Thanks for letting me come to your house. I'm Kristen Hawkins in for the Matt Townsend Show. And you're listening to Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have a great day. 